Alright, you're tuned to Women Radio WFM 91.7. I hope that you're having an amazing day with us right here. This is Nigeria's first radio station for women and their families. I hope your day is going on well like mine is. Alright, so yes, my name is Rose Yusuf Kaiser, and of course today is day three of our 16 days of activism right here on Women Radio WFM 91.7. All right, so yes, uh, it's a day three of the 16 days of activism with the theme Unite, Invest to Prevent Violence Against Women and Girls. The 16 days of activism is a global campaign which will be, or rather, which started from um, the 25th of uh, November and is going to, with the International Day of the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and is going to go up to the 10th of December, Human Rights Day. Now, this year, Women Radio 91.7 is spotlighting first responders who provide first-hand help and support to survivors of SGBV, that's sexual gender-based violence. So today, our first responder is none other than the amazing Joy, of course, and um, Joy Shokoya. She is the center manager of Mirabel Center. Good afternoon, Joy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Joy, can you hear me? Good afternoon, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Please confirm if you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. Good, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, it's also a pleasure to have you here today as our first responder on the third day of activism, uh, 16 days of activism, right here on Women Radio. So to be a part of the conversation, do well to dial 0700-917-917. Send a message or a text a whatsapp message or a text message 0703175637 let's get to hear from you this uh, afternoon you can also go to our social media platforms facebook instagram x and youtube at wfm917.com log on to our website www.wfm917.com Download our mobile app, WFM 917, and you get to listen to us live from any part of the world and follow the conversations on 16 Days of Activism. All right, so today we'll be discussing the first responder's story, work done so far, success, challenges, and way forward in ending violence against women and girls. All right, so like I said, our first responder today is George Shokoya, and she is the center manager, Mirabal Center. All right, so um, let's head on straight to the discussion of today, Joy. Now, as an organization, how have you been responding to gender-based violence so far, especially in the locality where you work or where your organization is based? Okay, thank you very much. A very good afternoon to you once again. Um, so the organization that um, I work is referred to as the Mirabel Center. Mirabel Center is a sexual assault referral center located um, in the heart of Lagos hmm. and we provide support to survivors of rape and sexual assault. We provide also referral service and legal advice to survive. Um, we have been in this um, sphere for a while. The Mirabel Center opened its doors to survivors in 2013. And since then, up until now, I've seen over 8,000 survivors. Hmm. So, um, 
How have we been responding? Wow. Okay. Eight thousand. Okay. That's impressive. And um, we responded to survivors of rape and sexual assault by first of all providing medical and psychosocial support to them. So as a first responder, when something like this happens, we are people that they come to receive medical attention. And if this becomes important because in cases of rape and sexual assault, there is need for immediate response. Because in fact, all the time, the amount of service that we're able to provide medically mm. has a time window time, you know, there's a time lapse, lapse to it. So if they are able to access our services for 72 hours, then we are, we are Hello, Joy, are you with us? All right, so we'll just try to reconnect with Joy because she's joining us virtually. And uh, she is just uh, telling us how they have been responding so far to survivors of gender-based violence. So we'll try to reconnect with her and have her back so we can hear how far they have gone. We can hear about their challenges so far. We can hear, um, you know, how it has been so far, especially for the Mirable Center. And it's quite impressive when you hear that number, 8,000 uh, survivors so far you know, of gender-based violence. And that's to tell you that there's a whole lot of work to still be done, all right? Because, I mean, if somewhere in Lagos, and let's just imagine so many other organizations who are attending, uh, you know, attending to survivors of gender-based violence, going, you know, um, attending to, to this kind of number, then that means we're actually doing something. Uh, you know, something is actually going on in terms of um, the... Um, you know, support given to survivors of gender-based violence. So we can only keep talking about it. We, or rather, let me say, we would not stop talking about it. We would not stop um, pushing this forward until we actually see that um, these survivors are taken good care of. And of course, the number of gender-based violence is actually brought down. So, um, Joy, are you here? Good afternoon, Joy. Hi, Joy. All right, uh, Joy, you're back with us. Oh, can you hear me? I didn't realize at what point I lost. Did you? Did, I lost you at. So yes, you lost me yes, at some yes, point. Yes, yes, You were telling us about, um, you know, the journey so far in responding to gender-based violence. You've told us uh, the number so far that you have responded to. You've told us where. You know, um, you were based, which you mentioned Lagos, and you're just telling us the story so far. Can you hear me? Okay, so, um, yes, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, please. All right, then. So I was mentioning the, the services that um, mm. we, we went to survive for. I think it was I went off and I was talking about the medical and psychosocial services, which includes that inner two survivors. We provide medical by medical treatment, medical examinations, I guess. And like I said, it becomes very important to provide this, you know, quite early. But that's, there's a middle between, you know, a survival can get the service of treatment that we contracting HIV or getting pregnant. 
Okay. And uh, we are also a referral service. I provide also referral services to survivors. So where, can you hear me please? Yes, I can please hear you. Please confirm if you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, awesome. So where we are, services that we do not provide, we have a network of agencies that work with that can provide these services. So we also act as a referral point to survivors to get proper services that they need. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, um, Joy. All right. Thank you so much, Joy, for that. Now let's um, head on, uh, you know, go further in the discussion. What has your experience been like in dealing with survivors of gender-based violence? Uh, what are some of the common perceptions and the facts on this? Okay. Um, one thing I can tell you, Are you there? Okay. All right. So, um, well, I think Network is trying to play a fast one on us, but we will definitely reconnect with Joy as soon as possible. So we will have her back online to tell us your journey so far, to tell us your experience so far, uh, you know, in dealing with survivors of gender-based violence. All right, Joy, um, are you back with us? Hello, Joy. Can you hear me? Hello? All right, so let's see. Yes, I can hear you, Joy. Go ahead, please. What we realize in this line of work is that there are lots of myths and stereotypes that um, surround the issue of rape where, you know, survivors are, we, we perceive that survivors should look a particular type of way hmm. and um, perpetrators should also look a particular type of way. So people expect that, oh, this person looks very gentle, this person looks, you know, he looks responsible, yes, that's a common word. So he cannot be a perpetrator, but we, we find that a perpetrator can actually be anybody. Anybody can perpetrate. Yeah. The father, we find the father perpetrating on a child. We find the uncles perpetrating on, on relatives. We mm. find teachers perpetrating. We find grandparents perpetrating. And I say that, uh, you know, with uh, every, every level of, when I mean grandparents, I'm talking about grandfather, grandmother. Mm. You know, perpetrating, you find so perpetrator can be anybody. Yeah. And any anybody can abuse as well. So that means that, you know, we find a girl child being abused, we find boys being abused, we find young men being abused, women being abused. I mean the, the youngest we've seen at the center is a three month old baby. Wow. And the oldest we have seen is a, is, is an eight year old grandmother. Mm-hmm. And then we have seen everything in between. So there, there is no, there is no particular, um, you know, ideal that mm. oh, this is how a, a, a survivor should look like. Yeah. Oh, is, is it, is it the class we want to talk about? We have seen mm. indigenous people being abused. We have seen the elite also being abused. So it cuts across class, across class, it cuts across age, it cuts across gender. Mm. 
Mm. It can happen to anybody at the end of the day, really. That, that's uh, what I would say. Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Joy, for that. Now, let's quickly talk about the challenges, which we know can be overwhelming, especially with um, mm-hmm. lack of adequate funds. There's also social, uh, societal norms, okay, that have existed for years. How have you been able to overcome Absolutely. these challenges so far? Ah, the challenges, they are, they are enormous, if you must say, and um, starting from societal norms, you know, we, we find that a lot of the time, some time or most of the time, is um, when a child is abused, when a minor is abused, and um, it might be necessary for me to say at this point that the um, majority of our survivors are minors, over 80%. Of survivors that we see at the center, they are minor people below the age of 18. They will be between 0 and 18 years of age. Now, having said that, we find that, you know, people are a bit more sympathetic. Mm. You know, they are a bit more passionate when we hear that, oh, a child is being abused. But then, when it comes to, when the person becomes, even an adolescent or maybe 16, from 16 years old above, people begin to ask questions. And then they are saying, oh, what did you wear? Yeah. You know, why did you go there? Why did you do this? Are you sure you were not the one that seduced him? Hmm. You know, what did you do? And everything. So people are not um, sympathetic or empathetic anymore. They begin to ask questions. They begin to throw blame at the survival. We find that a lot. Hmm. And this also is what uh, inhibits people from wanting to come up to talk about this because they will think, oh, I'll be blamed for this. In fact, they start by blaming themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they blame themselves for what has happened to them. And, you know, they, they, they don't want to be, they don't want to face any, any more of the stigmatization and the blame. So they rather just not talk about it. So there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of um, stigma that still surrounds the issue of rape and sexual assault. And, um, you know, so most of the time when survivors come to us, we, and we advocate for, for justice, we yeah. advocate for seeking justice. We would not, um, we will not let a case slide when it comes to us. We want to mm. see how far we can go to ensure that justice is served. Mm-hmm. But then, people a lot of the time would, you know, we, we, we are very religious people. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, you will see a perpetrator has done this, and then they would want to make a survivor or the parents or the guardian or, or such a survivor. You want to want to make them out to be the devil, the bad people for wanting to seek justice. And then that is where you people will come to beg you and say, "Oh, because of God, you know, because of God, just leave this person mm. alone. You know, forgive." If, if God can forgive your sins, why can you not forgive another person's sins? Mm. You know, and make people feel guilty. Whereas, a crime has been committed. It has. And when people say that, and I like to just go back to the, the same, we let go religious and say, okay, give to Caesar what he steals. If the law of the land has said that raping somebody is a crime, so let's go do the time. That is what will be required. You know, so there, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of, you know, um, when people say that they, they, they don't think that it is, um, they, they feel you are unkind if you want to begin to seek justice. Mm-hmm. So no matter the outrage, when people say, oh, this thing is wrong, this thing is wrong, they will still turn around to say, uh-uh, 
don't send this person to jail. And the question I ask is, no, nobody is sending him to jail. His action, something that he did deliberately knowing is what is sending him to jail. So there is that, there is that, you know, Hmm. norms and, you know, perceptions that exist. And of course, considering that we are in a patriarchal society, you know, people feel that, oh, you know, the man, there is, you know, that mindset about the men, about the, you know, so it always, it always plays against survival. Hmm. It always does. It always plays against survival. And then talking about us as the service providers, yeah. uh, the challenges can be really, really overwhelming, like you mentioned. Number one, funds, because, I mean, I mentioned that the services that you provide at the center are absolutely free. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we know that if something is free for you, somebody else is paying for it. Sure. And um, so a lot of the time, we don't find people who will pay for the service that we render. So a lot of the times we are, you know, using the little that we have to provide services to the survivor. And because the Mayaville Center is a safe haven for survivors, mm. it doesn't matter. They don't want to know whether you have the funds to provide the services. They just know that, oh, somebody has told me that if I go to the Mirabel Center, they will treat me, they will not collect money. And I said they will come. They will come, and we do not have a choice but to keep our doors open. Sometimes we keep our doors open at our own expense, Mm -hmm. at the expense of staff, where staff have to go, you know, or maybe half salary. But then this is the service that we provide, and it has to be provided to survivors. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it, funding, funding is a major, major issue, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that... Imagine. You know, and it, 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 it's everywhere. I mean, service provider, providers like us, funding is always an issue that we we face. Mm. So there is that. There is that. There is also the frustration that you would face when when you you feel that you know every other actor should come together to ensure that justice is served. So it's frustrating if at the end of the day, if you have done all the service, all the support that you have provided, Mm. and then a survivor goes to the police station and the police tells them otherwise, or the police tells them, "Ah, you can just collect money now and just leave the case. Or don't even go, don't pursue any case. There's no need to pursue any case. Or tell them that, ah, do you have money to pursue this? If you pursue this case, it's going to cost you a lot to bring down, bring hundred thousand, and the survivor doesn't have a hundred thousand. And then they feel like, okay, so what is going to happen? You know, so all of that is, is the frustration and the challenges that we face. All right. But I can say for categorically that mm. um, you know, to some extent, we have agencies that have been supportive mm-hmm. that we are doing this work together and are helping here. Right. You can say that. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Joy, for sharing all of those um, overwhelming challenges and how you've been able to get by so far. All right. Our time is far spent, but um, let's get to hear how you have collaborated with security agencies, other responders and stakeholders to provide support for survivors of gender-based violence. I'll just give you a minute to answer this. Um, tell okay. I think I also started. Sorry? Yeah, go ahead, please. Okay, I think I started up on that in the last statement I made, you mm-hmm. know, with sure. collaborated. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
to police, they, they send survivors to us mm. to, to cause to carry out medical tests and examinations because uh, our services are free one. And then secondly, our medical reports are also admissible in court. So we also support, you know, the prosecution in that, you know, our doctors are called upon to give expert witnesses. Mm. And I must say that, um, you know, in recent times we have, we've, 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 we've gotten success, we've gotten justice you know, for, for a lot of cases and uh, we are glad for such collaboration. So, yeah, we collaborate with security agencies, collaborate with government agencies mm -hmm. and other, you know, CSOs to be able to, because you cannot really do this job on, you know, alone. Definitely. You need, you know, very good collaboration. Yeah. All right. So um, now let's hear your recommendations for the government, recommendations for the society, religious leaders, parents, women and girls, because like you said, this war cannot be won, you know, with just one person's efforts. It's a collective effort. Yeah. So what are recommendations Absolutely. when it comes to the government, the society, religious leaders, parents, women and girls? So just quickly, please. Can you just give us okay. final oh. words on the whole discussion today? Yeah. For the government, I'll say, let's do more, right? So the laws are there, the policies are there, let's implement, let's push it. Let's domesticate, let's, let's, let's drive it home, let's drive it to the grassroots, let's do everything that we can, right? So that people know that it's not, it's not government as usual, you know, when you do the crime, you do the time. And the society, we must change our mindset, we must change our perceptions about these issues. So the religious leaders, don't cover it up. When you hear about this, and I will commend a few that have reported cases to us. Don't don't cover it up and say, oh, we'll settle it up in, in the church. No, this is not a church matter. It should go to where the right, you know, agencies to be to to deal with it. To so the parents, it starts in the home. It starts in the home. I mean, the boys who will grow up to be abusers are, are boys now. They need influences. What are the kind of influences that we are influencing the boys? How are we treating? How are we training? Our young boys, you know, are we teaching children boundaries? Are we teaching children to understand that um, you know, boundaries must be respected? What are the things that we are doing in the home to protect our children? For women and girls, you know, there is a lot. I mean, it takes so to be a woman and a girl, you are exposed to abuse two times more than a boy. So we, we just need to, to arise. We need to stand up. Okay, we need to, to take our stand and, you know, refuse every form of abuse. Mm -hmm. Refuse every form of, of abuse, right? We are not, we are not weak. We are not the weaker vessel, right? We must stand up and take a stand against all forms of abuse. And, I, and I'll say that um, in this, you know, 16 days of activism, mm -hmm. and I like the, like the theme, the theme that, you know, says invest. I like that word invest. Okay. Because... It, it, you might not necessarily there, there are a million and one things that you could do to invest, right? Mm -hmm. You could do you could you could be advocating, you could it could be in your demeanor, it could be in the words that you speak, it could be in your you know shutting down a sly joke that, you know, is, is, um, that would encourage rape or sexual assault. It's you know, putting putting your like you said, putting your money where your mouth is. Yes. Whatever it is that you need to do, invest. Let us invest. It's very important that we do. Okay. It's very important that we do. All right. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you so much for being a part of our program as a first responder on the 16 days of activism. Thank you so much. Good pleasure.
pleasure is all mine. All Thank right. You. And um, we wish Mirabel Center all the best. And we hope that, um, you know, what all the resources you need to actually keep this going. Um, we pray that yeah. people would definitely see the work you do and would also want to uh, contribute your own quota to make it a success too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. It was a pleasure to be part of the program. All right. Pleasure is all ours. Thank you. Do have a great day and enjoy the rest of the week and all the activities for the 16 days. Yeah, thank you, and you too. All right, thank you. So um, that's Joy uh, Shokoya, and she is the center manager of Mirabel Center. And, uh, of course, she has come in today to tell us their first responder story on behalf of the Mirabel Center. So we can only say kudos to Mirabel Center, kudos to all they have been doing, and we hope and we pray that by this time next year, um, it will be a different story entirely. Uh, hopefully they've moved forward hopefully they've been able to you know um overcome most of the challenges they have and we have a better story to tell all right so that's it today on day three of the 16 days of activism acknowledging nigeria's gender-based violence is crucial all right so i just hope that we continue to give the vital um survivor support and paving the path for a safer and fairer society a very Special thank you to our guest for today, Joyce Shokoya, Center Manager, Mirable Center, for sharing the story and to you also being part of a responder story. Thank you to the producer of the program, Esther Laribe, and the executive producer, Tom Okewoli Shunaya. Join us again tomorrow at 12.05 as we bring you another first responder to tell her story. My name is Rose Yusuf Kaiser. Just stay tuned to Women Radio WFM 91.7. Good afternoon. WFM 91.7.